This is the Average Guy Network, and you have found Cyber Frontiers, show number 14, recorded on December 8th, 2014. Here on Cyber Frontiers, we explore cybersecurity and big data and the technologies that are shaping the future, all from an academic perspective. I'm your host, Jim Collison, broadcasting live from the AverageGuy.tv studios here in Bellevue, Nebraska, and we post the show with world-class show notes out at TheAverageGuy.tv. If you have questions, comments, or contributions, you can contact the show, send us an email, jim at TheAverageGuy.tv, or you can track me down on Twitter, just at jcollison. And now you can call in those questions as well. We'd love to have you call in that question to us to see if you can stump Christian or uh, Ashton on this. 402-478-8450. If you're driving, don't uh, don't call that while you're driving. But pull over and give us a call, and uh, we'll play that question right into the program. And now Cyber Frontiers is a part of the Geeks Network. Find the links to this show and many other great podcasts out at thegeeksnetwork.com. And uh, let's introduce the guys tonight, and it's uh, good to see them. Sitting uh, in his dorm room, ready for some some Christmas break, and coding away right before the show got started. Christian Johnson, Christian, how are you? I'm awesome. Um, Eleven days, and then I'm out of here with finals in the bag and in tow. So everyone's looking forward to that at this point, as am I. Um, I'm also looking forward to getting another. D- I got a lot of great feedback from you guys last week on what you thought of exploring uh, big data through the Twitterverse Part One. Uh, so we we're sure to come and deliver with part two tonight. So we should have a fun conversation around that. Yeah, and if you didn't listen to Cyber Frontiers 13, uh, you might want to go back because it will build a little bit on that tonight. And so if you haven't done that, go back Cyber Frontiers 13. And then coming from his uh, General Mills sponsored dorm room, <laughs> University of Maryland, Ashton Webster. Ashton, how are you? I'm doing well. We were just talking in the pre-show that I think either General Mills or one of them have uh, determined they're bringing back Cinnamon Toast Crunch, a favorite of the 90s. You guys, neither one of you probably have ever had Cinnamon Toast Crunch. Oh, yeah. Really? Okay. All right. Not the the peanut butter stuff, but the actual Cinnamon Toast Crunch? Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, I've had it before, yeah. Good enough. It is the staple of, should be the staple of every college student. And certainly Ashton, we've been watching that. If you go back to the very beginning of Cyber Frontiers, <laughs> yeah. uh, it was just one. I think that first time we had you on, I think that's from three or four, right? One box? Uh, yeah, well, I was like, oh, I don't want it to be in frame. So I was like trying to shift the computer. <laughs> and we had just started putting them on the wall. Yeah. And now I think we have a lot. We that's have, good. I think we have like 30 or something. That's good. Well, by the end of the year, you'll have that whole, it'll yeah, be the whole wall hopefully. filled up in there. Right. So, well, uh, Christian, you had, uh, in response to me saying I wanted to do something like this last week as well, you tried to uh, dumb this down to my level, I think, so that even I could do this. And uh, we're going to spend a little bit of time, talk about what you've done, the post, and some of those things, and I'll uh, get links out there. Sure. So if you go out to uh, the front front page of cyberfrontierlabs.com. The link will be in the show notes. I put on our site a post for exploring big data through the Twitterverse, and that is kind of the bootstrap starter kit that will get you launched into basically the end goal of where we were our last podcast, right? So in our last podcast, we talked about how to get connected to Twitter, how to start streaming you know, those tweets uh, in real time, and how to do some very basic manipulations of them. So I cleaned that up a little bit, and packaged it out so you can go and get the download and just click that link and import that zip file into Eclipse and that'll get you all set up right in your workbench. All you'll have to do from that point is put in your API keys from your Twitter account and you'll be able to get going uh, relatively quickly. So I've also put some other links for kind of the part two stuff that we'll be talking tonight. There's some other people on the internet who have had some cool projects like this related to Twitter. Um, So you can go ahead and do those as a coding challenge if you already have a data sandbox of your own set up and um, of course if not then stay tuned to what we're doing because we're rebuilding it on this show. Christian can I, so my plan was I've got a, a Windows Server 2012 R2 instance up and running, I got Hyper-V on it, can I just create a Windows you know, Windows instance in Hyper-V and install this stuff there and just run it off that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, you can put in a VM. It's Eclipse runs on it's cross-platform, so Mac, Windows, Linux, um, and as long as you have Java installed, then you're good to go. So 
shouldn't shouldn't do anything negative to your computer to say. Running on Windows 10? Can I use? I've got a Windows yeah. 10 preview out there. You think that'll work? Yeah. Okay. No problem. No, shot. We'll we'll start to, after the show. Maybe not today, but maybe this weekend. I'll start to, trying to put that together, and make it work. Sure. All right. What what next? Well. Um, I think we're going to circle to Ashton first because what Ashton basically did was take part one and put it into Storm and did some processing. So I'm going to turn the reins over to him here. Yeah, so let me start by sharing my screen. And I have a little diagram that I just threw together that hopefully um, gives an idea of what we got going on here. Uh, let's see. Made this in the great PowerPoint. So let's put this up. Hopefully this doesn't. I don't know if you guys can still see this. I can't see you anymore. Yeah, no, you're fine. Um, it's it's looking good. It's black for me. All right, well that didn't work. Uh, anyway, we have the uh, the the starting point. Obviously, is Twitter. Um, and as we talked, oh, all right, there goes PowerPoint. Well, anyway, the starting point is uh, is Twitter. And as we mentioned last week. The way that works is it takes just a sample of all the tweets that are currently... Uh, I'm not sure exactly how it determines what the random sample is, whether that's like a chronologically based thing or um, if it's like the last 10 seconds, but it, it grabs some sample of that, and um, that's where the, the fun starts. So taking that, we uh, what I did is I, I passed that along to... Uh, well, in order to get that, first of all, you have to use the API keys. So uh, apparently Christian set up a way of explaining how to get those. Um, it's not super complicated. You just need a way of getting access to this data, and that's what those keys provide you. So if you register an application with, um, with Twitter, they'll let you have one of those, um, and that gives you access to get this random sample. So from there, we I'm sending that data through the program that Christian wrote last week, um, I don't know if you had a chance to see that, but essentially all it does is it makes this call to the Twitter API to get that random sample, um, and then it just continually feeds that stream to a listener, and that listener can do whatever arbitrary code that you leave there. Um, he was printing out, I think you had a, a geolocation yeah. um, program set up there. I just fed that to a queue. Um, so that's a service running, it's called Apache Kafka, and it just temporarily holds the data and allows multiple different nodes to access it. So this is all done locally, but if I had so desired, I could have had a whole bunch of nodes running Storm accessing this queue. Um, and now the next logical question is, what is the Storm bar we're looking at here? Uh, well, what that is is the distributed application that we're using to process the, the streams coming from Twitter. Um, so each individual function can be run on a different node on, on this uh, cluster that we have, and they're, they're processed independently, so they all run at the same time, and it allows for really good throughput, and really, um, it scales very well. So the main processing happening there is taking the, the, uh, the stream of, of random tweets and breaking them into the individual characters in those tweets and then counting those so that we have a distribution of the most frequently seen characters in tweets. Um, those are then stored in this data in a database. It's stored in MongoDB, which is a NoSQL database, um, which is really fun to use. If you've never had a chance, just like look at it and you'll be like, wow, this is really simple and fun to use. Um, but I digress. That's where the, the data is temporarily stored, and then we have the website where we're uh, showing the graph of that. And that's what you may have caught a glimpse of as PowerPoint was falling apart for me. Um, this is the end. Oh, this is the end. Is it gone now? Okay. This is the end product of all of that hard work. It's a, a graph, not of company performance. I forgot to change the title of it. It's a graph of the frequency yeah, of different company, Bad company performance, if it was. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Uh, it's a, it should be labeled as something more like frequency of characters and tweets. So um, it's in concept, it should have been probably E. It ended up as the quotation mark. Uh, the reason for that was instead of taking the text of the tweet, I converted the tweet into a JSON file format. And what that is is essentially a uh, sort of like XML if you've ever used that. It's a it's a format of of storing data and it has a lot of quotation marks in it to define the fields. Um, and that's not what I meant to do. I should have just gotten the, the text of the tweets instead. But ignoring that, it's 
more or less what you would expect to see. I think there are some other field-related. The colon is another uh, artifact of the, the JSON representation. But you, you get the idea that this could you know, be used to, to get an idea of the most frequent characters in tweets. And what I wish I had done actually was do the most frequent words because I feel like that would have gotten a little bit more interesting results. Um, I don't know. I'm guessing it would be something like the or. I was going to say, don't you think it'd be common uh, the and yeah. a lot things. less frequency. Um, but the the fun thing that we were talking about doing last time is, so you know, it's cool to be able to just look at this stuff and it's interesting on its own. But using that to identify sentiment analysis or I don't know, predict buying trends, things like that. Uh, would be a lot more powerful use of this. So if you have words and you can identify them as in a list as being positive or negative, then things get a lot more interesting. So that might be the next logical progression of this. But this was just a, a small example of how things are, are working here. And I actually have it running right now, so hopefully um, instead of crashing, when I refresh, it should you should see a jump from like the most frequent one is at about 24 million. Oh, maybe I don't have it running. All right, never mind. It was updating it live before, and uh, it should be updating live. I actually had to stop because Christian and I were both trying to use the same uh, API keys, and Twitter said, oh, no, 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 we're going to rate limit you and because we were requesting the data too too frequently. Um, so, but which, which means what, rate limit? What, so rate li you only get so many requests to the... to So, like, we, we were asking for that random sample, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you ask, I think you get one a second, I want to say, roughly. If you ask for more than 15 in 15 seconds or something like that, it will say, okay, that's enough. That's all you get. And then mm -hmm. it just blocks you until that time interval passes. And that's what happened because I was doing it exactly on, so I had just enough. And then Is it really one per second? It's pretty close to that. Yeah, I think so. Man, that's it's not. not it's not actually one per second. It's something. It's more like it comes out to that, but it's more like fifty in fifty seconds, or something yeah. like that. I don't know because I feel like when I watch tweets printing to my console that it's faster than one second. But oh no no no! The, the not, it's not one tweet. It's one query to the API, oh, which okay. returns multiple tweets. Right, 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 right. Um, oh, and one other thing that's kind of cool is there's this. Uh, graphical representation of what's going on at Storm. So Storm is that that middle layer that's doing the actual processing of the, the stream and converting it into the individual characters and counting those and all that stuff. Um, that, they have a um, user interface for that and you can see all this interesting stuff about how frequently it's emitting information and transferring it and what the latency is between the nodes and all that stuff. Um, but I think this graph is kind of cool as well. It's the each of these is each of these circles is a uh, point of, of processing. So it comes out to this what's called a directed acyclic graph, um, which is a fancy way of saying the corners of this are points of processing and the edges are the streams of data moving around. Um, and yeah, so. This this can also th I think this one also has like the thickness of these streams shows how uh, how many objects are in them so it's helpful for debugging what's going on there. Um, so Ashton, talk so a little yeah. bit about what the queue is in Storm and why that is a requirement from kind of buffering the the streaming tweets into Storm as a data yeah. storage. So last week I did not use the queue and it kind of worked. Um, the reason that it makes things a lot easier is, one, there's a lot of integration with queues in Storm, uh, the, especially the Apache Kafka queue, I think because, you know, Storm is an Apache project, Kafka is a the Apache queue project, and um, it they, they, they fit well together. Uh, the reason why I think there that there's a push for that is, Storm really wants to consume. Like you, you say each each of these corners takes a look at the previous point and tries to get data from it. And the starting point is very well suited to grab something from a queue instead of trying to generate the data itself. Um, so last week I was trying to 
have the quarries made from um, from the spout, which is the first point of processing or bolt, um, and then immediately have it do things with that, which is like a push operation because each time it gets data to do something, when in fact it's much more it's much better suited to like asking, hey, do you have data for me? Getting the data and then doing operations on it like that as it's ready. So that's what the queue is, that, that buffer of, um, you know, not like forcing data upon you. You consume, and then there's things that produce to it. Uh, it also allows multiple nodes to get, to have access to that same buffer. Uh, so if you have, you know, several virtual machines on different machines, or, or different machines, they can all access that queue and get different chunks from it, and it just speeds things up dramatically. Gotcha. So hopefully that kind of gives an explanation. Um, it doesn't really work if you don't use the queue, in fact. Hmm. So, you kind of... Um, so, so on, wait, I, first I need a rating on a scale of 1 to 10 on how hard... How understandable was my toolkit that I gave you? Was it plug-and-play? Because we're looking for plug-and-play. It, it was really easy. Okay. Um, the the well, hardest thing... The hard, for you, maybe. Well, for me, I... I didn't do anything special with what you gave me either. I, I literally just, um, well, yeah. One one thing: take out your API keys. Yeah, <laughs> well, I did everyone, on the I did on the download. Yeah, it was the, just so that you could just get going. The uh, the only thing I added to yours was the was writing to the queue. That that was a hassle, but not because of your code. It was because um, getting Kafka set up is kind of a an, an ordeal. <laughs> Right, for sure. But I would say on a scale of one to ten, it was a eight on easiness. Then again, like yeah, like Jim says, I spend a good like eight to ten hours in front of the computer every day, probably. So uh, I might be a little biased in terms of the the programming side of things, but it it was pretty easy to use. Gotcha. Cool. So Christian, I have no familiarity with the IDE. And it's gonna be fine, Jim. It's so I mean, it's gonna be some work for me. I'll just I'll just admit I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna right. get there, but right. it's gonna be a little bit of work for me. I mean, the this big is thing a, this is, is Eclipse, by the way. Right. If you want the sneak preview. Yeah. So you get your source code. You have the import on the left, and if you hit that little green triangle at the top left, it'll play the source code as you got it. So if you drop your API keys and hit play, and you see tweets in the bottom, it means good things are happening. Let's do it. And you're uh, saying it's that easy once I get the API set up. Yep. Plug and play. Plug and check. Yeah, so this is this is his thing that he showed last week. Okay. Uh, hopefully I see some tweets. There were some there before. Probably uh, buffered, right? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's... Maybe we should just do a whole show a lot of, of you helping me set this up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I have a lot of things running now. Yeah, but it'll try to connect to Twitter, and then we should start seeing tweets. Right. So, um, yeah, and I mean, your code has some of the... Um, yeah. Storm stuff in it, but the the post I put out online is very clear cut. Yeah, there you go. There's the tweets, and we won't oh, read those. Way. We won't read uh, those like we did last week. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> by the way, Christian. Yes. Did did you have a line? Yeah. Did you just get the English characters with this? Well, that uh -huh. yeah. So I changed that from last week, right? So that was one of the things I was going to talk about. So last week. I was trying to narrow tweets by just putting in very generic latitude, longitude ranges that probably weren't all that accurate. So this time around on the on the toolkit, I just said, give me all tweets that are English, that the user self-identify as speaking English. Um, so that way I don't have to look at foreign languages when I'm doing this stuff. Yeah, I I wish I had put... <laughs> I, I don't know if you can see this. My, my code, I have like the, the next lines are the things that insert to the... Uh, the right. queue, and right. I put those outside of the English language thing for reasons unknown even to myself. But I mean, it shouldn't matter. Because... No, it did. Like, if you look at the, the... I spent a long time trying to filter out all the Chinese oh, characters yeah. that were breaking everything. Ha. Yeah, um, no, because matter. those... It, it, it would get one of those on the graph right. side, and it would be like, what is this, and right. stop right there. Right. So, You're still not inside, though, are you? No, I should have moved this inside. I don't. Right. I just didn't think of it. Right. I looked at it later, and I was like, "Oh well, that would have made my life a lot easier." Right. So yeah, yeah. English English language. Right. This the block. other ones there that I commented out as like samples are the 
um, to get place, get country code if it's the United States. So that's not using a geolocation, right? That's just saying if Twitter knows that you're in the United States, print it out. So that's yeah. another interesting way of doing it. I only really care about if it's English. I don't really care beyond that unless I'm doing something particular that's geospatial in nature. Yeah, uh, I also cut like a good third or two-thirds of your code out just because I didn't yeah. really need any of it well, except for yeah, so, so I mean that's the whole idea, right? You guys download and take these starter kits and then do what you want with them, right? I mean, this is just to make it super easy for you to be involved with Twitter and then you can customize it how you see fit. Um, some Someday I'm going to run some Godzilla MapReduce program that makes my Python program look sad and then um, I'm just going to use machine, uh, machine learning to take over a lot of data sets. It'll be fun. Um, so, ooh, that's fascinating. Yeah, see, that's the uh, that's a look at like a small sample of the characters I had, and they're <laughs> they're all like indecipherable. It's not until like you get the to the more frequent. Like, what yeah. are these? There's like a little moon there, or there's a <laughs> there's like a beer uh, a solo cup up here. There's all sorts of weird things. Fascinating. I don't even know that one up there like a dragon. Uh, yeah, there's like a sun. This one's a sun in a cloud. Interesting. Let's make these, these are exciting. Oh, all right, I broke it. So, um, while yeah. well, well, while well, Ashton succeeded in the, the challenge, right? The, the the challenge being put one of these things into a big data system. Um, he did only do characters, and I promised words, so I will now deliver words to to, to the to the masses here. So, I'm going to share my screen now and take you to my workbench. Um, so welcome to Flamethrower again. Um, again, we're actually, we pretty much dropped right where um, right where Ashton was, right? So you should be familiar. I'm not going to re-talk about all this, but I've changed some things even from the, um, why did my, oh, I am screen sharing. Okay, good. Um, I changed some things from the uh, toolkit that I put online. So um, the only major thing is I, so just to understand, this streaming API uh, funny business that takes, it's not funny business, just business, um, that takes place um, in this source code uses threading, right? That's the, um, you know, the, the whole name of the game. So in with threads, it's because it's running asynchronously and like let's say I want to print a report about what's going on after these streaming um, tweets come in. I can't do that unless I get those threads to close properly and come back to my main thread. So you don't really have to know anything about that but basically I put this little convention in here in the highlighted region that lets me um, cut the stream off after a certain number of tweets, which is what I wanted to do for this, right? So that's just there. Everything else is the same here. Move along, move along, nothing to see, right? Great. So what I did here was I it's called do the word count report. So this is the code that basically will allow us to do word count in the program itself. And when you look at the output, so I ran this for 20,000 tweets that came out, and it basically maps key value pairs on my councils. So if you look down here in the council region, these are the words for 20,000 tweets, the frequency of occurrences uh, of how many times these words occurred in those 20,000 tweets. Um, one of the most interesting ones that I managed to find was Coldplay. Um, and so I again remember that this stream that we have access to is one percent of the total um, total Twitter sphere firehose, right? But if I then take a look at my Twitter feed and see what's going on for that keyword, um, I do in fact notice that there's a lot of conversation around Coldplay, and I have no idea why. So I don't know if there's like a new album that just came out again, which doesn't seem right, but. Um, a lot of people are talking about Coldplay, um, so maybe their Magic album just got released in another country. I don't. I really don't know. Um, but so a lot of people like Coldplay, and we can conclude that. Great. Um, obviously, there's a lot of. I mean, at the very bottom of the tank here, right? The is the most common word. No surprise there, right? But I mean, I think the point here is to show you that we can make a lot of filters, right? So we can filter out the and or but whatever. Um, we can filter out swear words, we can filter out stuff we're not interested in, and we can pare it down just to topics that we're interested in so that we can do those higher level analyses that we're talking about. But this is kind of the, um, 
the proof of concept demo of how one would do this. Now, what you didn't see when I ran this was that it took me about uh, somewhere between three and five minutes after I collected those 20,000 tweets. I didn't measure the exact time, but I could have the computer do it for me. But it took some time from the time when I collected those 20,000 tweets to the time that it was able to generate this report. Uh, and why is that? Because it's basically, not only is it doing all the frequency counts, but then I have to sort it so that it shows me the frequencies from uh, you know, least to greatest. So these are the least occurring, scroll down, scroll down, and now you're getting towards the most occurring, right? So that's a sorting algorithm. Any type of sorting algorithm is going to have a um, efficiency to it. Some are more efficient than others. I, I picked a, a default key sorting algorithm for a hash map out of Java, so it's not my own sorting algorithm, but it should be relatively efficient. Um, and so this really kind of gives you an idea of the time that it can take. So this, you can see the scalability is not there, right? If I were to make this one million tweets and try and run the same word count report, which seems super simple, right, guys? I mean, we're just counting words and frequencies and sorting it. That seems really trivial to you and me, um, but when you have, you know, all of a sudden you have one million tweets, yeah, guess what? Your one CPU isn't going to be able to do that sorting algorithm. And that's really kind of the first way in which we can see that MapReduce has some power to it, right? Because MapReduce, this is this is like slicing through cake for MapReduce. It, you know, million words, no problem. It'll have the answer to you out in, you know, 30 seconds um, as opposed to 30 hours, right? And so that's kind of, that is the reason why, you know, a lot of people might ask, why can't I just, you know, make a word count report in my application and why do I need this MapReduce, this Hadoop, all that? Um, and it's a great question. And the answer is, yeah, you can do all these things at a small scale. It just becomes a question of at what point do you have too much data for you to be able to do realistic analysis? And the thing to keep in mind is the one of the whole takeaways from the uh, big data field is that you only find really interesting analytics and, and thoughts with having really large data sets, right? That's a basic property of statistics. We don't see trends and patterns until we have a lot of sample points that we can make a conclusion from. Um, you know, same principle here, except now we're using machines to get millions and millions of points and do analytics on it in, you know, a fraction of the time it would take if you were running a single program. Um, I haven't tried this yet, so it could be a dangerous thing, but I guess we'll go ahead and do this live on the show. Um, so I was looking at this word count report just now and seeing that one of the hashtags that showed up was MTV stars, so that must be another conversation on Twitter. You can go validate for yourself, though. Um, but there, an interesting feature of the API is for the status, it has this thing called um, get hashtag entities. And so I was just curious to see if that filtered it, filtered out the tweets to only give you, oh, it didn't like that. Um, <laughs> hated that. Um, but the, the mission here is to try and get the tweets automatic. Oh, it does do it. Interesting. Um, so ig ignore these errors. Um, maybe I can make this a little cleaner. So I think it comes back as a JSON response. Yeah, it doesn't like that. But um, the idea here is that there is a feature in the Twitter API, I do believe, that allows you to basically parse each tweet into just giving you back hashtags. So if you really want to look at something that's keyword only based as opposed to um, you know, having all the different words that you would word count over, one really, really obvious filter is to only look at words that are hashtags because those are the words in Twitter that people are going to place the most emphasis on. So I found that pretty interesting um, because, again, that is what really allows you to make trends that otherwise you're not going to see. And, you know, if you have the time, I would encourage you to actually go ahead and build a filter. It just really doesn't like me. <laughs> to go ahead and, and, and build a filter that does all this custom hand. But, I mean, I don't, maybe Ashton, you have some thoughts on this, but it, some of them are coming out. I don't know why the other ones are giving me out of bounds. Oh, maybe it's because I, yeah, that would be why. Okay. 
So, so maybe now we'll just no, no, no. I just can't get lucky on the first try tonight. But, um, you know these. Yeah, I don't know. I would go back to the way you had it, but instead of two string, you want to do like get hashtag something like that. I don't know. Yeah, well, I mean, in my gets, I have. Oh, it's an array. I don't know. This is yeah, not well, it comes, <laughs> it comes back an array. I don't know why the array is not null in this case, but um, yeah. So, but I mean, again, just to show you, again, this is not world perfect code as it stands. But um, I, if we go type Matt Monday in whatever that is, uh, I'm kind of scared, but here we go. Um, if we type Matt Monday friends into Twitter um, and give us some font. Please. So this is this is Matt Monday, whatever that means. I don't know what that means. It seems somewhat popular, but as you can see, it correctly took this whole tweet and just grabbed that hashtag. So that can help you very easily see what are popular hashtags floating around in that representative sample. Um, yeah. So uh, for I, I I kind of have an idea, but. Um, I'd still like to ask, what's the difference between something like Storm and something like this uh, Hadoop MapReduce um, that yeah. you just executed? I mean, they're both similar in paradigm, right? I think the big difference is how you load it into HDFS, number one. Um, I haven't worked with Storm as much. I mean, you're more the expert on that, but yeah. from what I understand with Storm, the queue is taking care of how it's loading it into its own data storage, whereas with HDFS MapReduce, you're coming up with some mechanism to do that directly. Um, Cloudera, if you look at my post um, on Cyber Frontier Labs, Cloudera wrote something back in 2012 that was actually very interesting where they used Apache Flume, basically, to be, it would take the, the tweet streams, uh, the Twitter stream, and Apache Flume would basically push it right into HDFS for you, and then it was all ready to go um, with MapReduce. So it's mm. kind of, it's, it's really slicing the egg two different ways. I, I would say Storm may be faster at this point. Well, no, what, I was, what I was getting at was the, uh, the, the nature of the MapReduce is for it to be... Uh, you collected 2,000 tweets, and then you ran the MapReduce. So that's a batch operation versus... Um, I don't know if I was clear on this, but the, the Storm was working on the stream like as it came in, uh, or as it came into the queue, at least. So... I, I think I'm not sure that they're actually all that similar in Paradigm, except that they can both be distributed and um, they both can handle big data. But the the way that they operate is actually quite quite different. Right, right. Wow, did I just make that rookie of a mistake? That's probably what it was. Yeah, there it was. Wow, you're such a rookie. All right, there we go. <laughs> so <laughs> I feel so stupid some days. Um, so now you can see a council that is giving you correct things, right? So. Um, believe it or not, these are the these these my friends are the uh, hashtags that are. Oh, see floating. MTV stars. Yeah, see, <laughs> so those are the hashtags that are floating around. So you know what we're gonna because we're hands on on Cyber Frontiers, we're gonna show you how one would go about counting these now. So these are hashtags. These are awesome. Everything is awesome. You should watch that movie. It's a great movie. Um, <laughs> so what we're gonna do is instead of doing that for word count. So what I did to kind of mimic what MapReduce would be is there's a, a class in Java called String Builder, which just lets you basically append a bunch of raw strings. So what I do is um, I take this and, well, first, okay, so if you're a sloppy programmer like me on the fly on the gun to get this stuff done, you play around a lot. So the first thing we need to do is it's giving us back this whole thing as JSON, and I just want what's inside this text thing, right? So I need to find a way to do that. So what I'm going to do is I am going to make a substring, um, if it lets me. So, well, aren't those, are those not objects or those strings in the... Uh, I don't know. Do you, do you have a faster way of quickly... You try like get, get hashtag from the... Uh, from each of those elements. Oh, well, there you go. Get text, aren't you? Okay. See, there. sometimes you can reinvent the wheel, and then there's other times where you can just listen to Ashton, and everything's going to be fine. Um, so, so now... There are probably times where that doesn't work, too, but... Well, there's a lot of times where it does. So. <laughs> I think most of the time you probably get it right, Ashton. Yeah. So, all right. So now we're just getting... 
hashtags, very good. Even without the hashtag in it, awesome. So now I want to count these words instead of the whole tweets. So these are going to be what I put into my string builder. Did someone really hashtag question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark, question mark? You know what? I think that's a Unicode um, yeah, problem. I think that's probably okay. the characters not being converted correctly. And I have not figured out how you know ahead of time what Unicode it's going to be. I just haven't gotten that that far into the game yet. Um, so let's just try this for 20 and see if it actually works. For mine, I had to ignore... Um, I, there was like a... I, I did it after the fact, but I like ignored any non-Unicode characters. Because you, you actually get a lot. Uh, especially, like I guess, as you can see, there were a lot in the database that represent the emojis and Chinese characters and all sorts of yeah. things. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of people talking about MTV stars. So that, you know, if we want to do, and you'll see this in a sec when we get the, I'm hoping the word count report comes back soon and it doesn't get carried away. But, I mean, at, at a very elementary level, these are the kinds of things that Twitter does and scales for millions of users so that when you log into your Twitter page and you see, you know, what's trending now, it's basically based on these huge, huge data silos where they're doing these very basic things at the core. So if you understand what's happening at the... Yeah, so there you go. Um, oh my gosh, that's not what I wanted. <laughs> Apparently I didn't split right. But, um, you know, again, we, we saw by visual inspection, as we would say in math, that MTV stars was definitely the, the number one occurrence here. So that would, that would show up the most. So again... For your um, segment, right? Because when I go to Twitter right now and check trending, I don't see MTV stars. Right, because keep in mind that, again, it's 1% of, right. Right. of data, but even 1% can tell us it might not be the top thing that's trending, but it is something that's yeah. trending, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, 42 seconds ago, a minute ago, a minute ago, two minutes ago. So this yep. is... People are talking about this on the minute, which means we did a pretty good job of finding a topic on Twitter that is basically a back-and-forth conversation, which is a pretty cool thing to be able to do because if you can do that and then you center the conversation around topics that you're interested in, like cybersecurity, now you can start taking actions and on Twitter based on the conversation um, and have a program help you do it. So... That's kind of the, this is, again, this is the word count demo. Um, if we wanted to make this really big, the next step would be to stream, start streaming this into HDFS and really see some larger numbers about how this works. Um, Christian, do, do we have any idea what Twitter is using behind the scenes to, to process this? Yeah, so, so they've written to some extent about their architecture. I mean, some of, some of what Twitter, like, for example, LinkedIn has a huge... Um, Hadoop data cluster, um, obviously Yahoo does. So a lot of the recommend, like on Amazon, any of your purchases and that kind of thing, when it says this item is recommended for you, that's a Hadoop cluster giving you that result on the fly, which is amazing that it works like that for you know millions of users at a time. Um, Twitter has some stuff that's using the open source stuff that we all know and recognize. I think they also have some of their own platform that they've built that does it very similarly. But it's all kind of based on the same principles at this point. Yeah, just uh, another observation. Um, I'm looking at the developer pages for Twitter. And for that, get sample. Because I, I'm, I am curious, like, what exactly you're getting when you get that random sample. Um, right. And it doesn't speak, like, I, I it, it says it is a small, this is literally from their page. I can share my screen, I guess. Um, it, it says that it's a random sample uh, that is the same for any two people. So that means, like, if two users make the same, it says uh, the tweets returned by default access level are the same. So if two different clients connect to this endpoint, they will see the same tweets. Um, so just kind of an interesting thing about the way that these streams work is for the public access, at least, you're going to get the same ones as another person doing the queries at the same time. Right, and I think um, there's a very interesting post, uh, i got to go back and find it, that I was reading this week that when a, a statistician actually looked at the samples and kind of did some interesting um, 
analysis to kind of come up with how Twitter was selecting the random, because they claim it's a random sample, yeah. but he had some interesting logic that seemed to make sense about how that, quote, random samples actually computed. Um, so I thought that was a, a pretty cool thing. Yeah, I would um, be interested to hear that because um, I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to how random it actually is. Yeah, I mean, I, mm, I got to imagine that, you know, there's... There's obviously it's not going to know 100% what it gives back to, but there, you know, it's all everything is a formula, right? So yeah, I think Jim Jim also brought up a good point about like what trending actually means, because um, it may not just be raw occurrence of. I mean, it seems is it just some of it. I don't think is, but like for example, yeah. So like the trends rotate, but for example, when when we were broadcasting live. At, uh, during the Ferguson uh, indictment news, I mean, it was Ferguson, hashtag Ferguson was just right at the top, right? So there's, it It must weigh pretty heavily on, if something is just blowing up, it, it hones in on it pretty fast. Yeah. Um, was that the, the letter count? Yeah, I don't know what why that did letters instead of words. It's just... Oh, you, you split... Uh, I, I, I split on this, yeah. I have to keep playing with it, but um, yeah. I mean, you saw the point, right? I'm that wondering was, what the the time interval for. The, I would be interested to try and like reverse engineer the trending thing because I don't know whether the time interval is like the last, you know, second, the the top number of tweets with that hashtag per second or per right. hour. Uh, I mean, it's probably some somewhere between those two, obviously. But um, I don't know. It'd be an interesting experiment to try and like guess at that. Yeah, and I mean, I did a little research, too, because I was curious on, like, how many um, data developers really can get access to the full Firehose, and it's super tough, man. I mean, really? there are only four companies who had access to the Firehose, and one of them was bought back by Twitter later, so <laughs> there's really only three independent ones, and, you know, I was reading a lot of interesting things about how, like, you know, having access to the Firehose can be, you know, really uh, useful for stuff like law enforcement and whatnot. Um, and so, you know, I bet you there are some premium customers that are paying, you know, the three, the three companies that have access to the fire hose are probably then going back and selling pieces of the fire hose to people. So it's, you know, who Is gets that, what? Uh, yeah. I wonder how, how that works. I mean, I, I have no idea to be honest, but it, it was interesting to say the least, because I mean that's that's not a problem. You know, if you want the real meat and potatoes of everything that's going on, that's like Twitter's not the only one that excludes that. Um, I've had huge problems with getting um, like LinkedIn. There, they have this vetted API search that if you have some parameters, lets you pull back people's profiles really easily. Yeah, guess what? Only like. 10 companies have access to that vetted API program, and they'll just reject you because they feel like it, not because you didn't meet the qualifications, but because it has to be, you have to justify it to be in the interest of LinkedIn as a business, you know, growing and moving forward for you to have access to this, and not, <laughs> there's not many people out there that can make that argument successfully. So Chris, you, you want to drop you, your screen share? Yeah. Do, do you know if uh, LinkedIn has... I, I think LinkedIn might have the Twitter Firehose access because when I was looking, um, there was a similar project that they had done. Uh, I think I posted the link to it on the last one. I can post it again because it's it's got it's sort of similar to what I did. They, they use Kafka. They use um, don't know if they use Storm. They use something called Voldemort instead of the database I used. Um, and they were saying that like I in their code they had queries for the Firehose. Uh, so I wonder if they have it. It wouldn't necessarily surprise me, but yeah, I mean it's yeah. they they all rely on one another, kind of sharing a certain amount of data at this point. So yeah, so um, you were saying that the one of the tenets of uh, using MapReduce is HDFS, which stands for Hadoop. Um, distributed file system. Highly distributed. Highly file distributed system. file yeah. system. Um, and so that that's where you were doing your uh, was that yours is based on that, right? Well, what yeah. What I'm saying is mine. I didn't use that at all for mine. Um, but there are plugins to HDFS like 
uh, d databases that sit on top of it, like Hive, which I had spoken a little bit about before. For mm -hmm. our, we were going to do some research in to the IP address, uh, the IPv4 space. But right. there's actually um, ways that we could connect to what we're doing is what I'm really getting at. So hmm. they're not necessarily mutually exclusive. This is sort of the real-time processing end with Storm, and Hadoop sort of the the post-processing warehouse that you have, um, and they can interact through HDFS. So if I could write instead of writing my data to MongoDB, maybe write it to uh, Hive, which sits on top of a tube. I mean, on top of HDFS. Essentially, getting the data from the real-time processing to HDFS would allow us to merge our our efforts here. Um, and that's kind of the missing link between ours. Right. Right. Yeah. No. Definitely. And so you kind of have that like pre-processing with Storm um, feeding into HDFS, and then you can pick that right up and do the batch jobs with you know those large samples of tweets that you're you're saving from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean that's one of the cool things about um, the way the Hadoop ecosystem evolved was that now there's just so many different ways to get at the same thing. It really just depends on you know, do you want to process in real time? Do you want to process buffered? You know, how do you want to control the metadata? Um, mm -hmm. And that's why the yeah, the customizability is cool, but it's also made you know in infinite different ways to solve some of these problems that, you know, then we ask ourselves questions about, well, which one of these ways is actually the best way to do it? And, well, I don't really know. <laughs> yeah, I really like the the diagram. We had showed it before. We've spoken about HDFS kind of a lot, but the diagram that I like is, like, you have HDFS sitting on the bottom and then all of these applications that can interact with it, of which MapReduce is just one now. Um, there's all those other ones, like, you know, I think... There's Hive, there's HBase, there's Pig, there's um, you know all sorts of things now. Right, and I mean, I mean, being honest, at this point, we are at a point where it is an, it is a very large ecosystem. I mean, if we were talking about this back in like 2010, I would maybe hesitantly call it an ecosystem, but I mean now it's just the horse has long left the barn. Um, surprisingly enough, though, you'd be amazed for all the new generation, you know, data analytics platforms that we talk about um, on this show. Like, I think it's like 90% or so of production big data platforms for these large companies still use Hadoop version 1.0 with MapReduce 1.0, and you know, wow. those those applications just do what they're supposed to when they're supposed to, and so they don't want to touch it or or, or change it. Um, and I mean, I don't blame them because can you imagine even jumping from Hadoop one to Hadoop two, how much changed, how much rewriting would have to be done? So, yeah. I mean, know. it's obviously it's going to lag behind because it takes time to integrate these things. And once you have them, if it works, there's not necessarily huge motivation to, you know, get the best thing unless you have a, a specific need for it. Yeah, let, I mean, let me. Uh, I got to imagine that they are at this point. Um, you know, just if they want something new on a new platform, they're building a, an entire platform separately of what their existing production is and just keeping them totally isolated until they can switch over streamlessly, seamlessly. Yeah, this is what I was kind of talking about. You have the Hadoop file system down here. Uh, so is it, yeah, that, that's, is it highly or Hadoop? I don't know. It's probably, it's... Oh, well... Hmm. So anyway, <laughs> uh, they, they have the yarn sitting on top of that and then all of these different categories of programs that plug in here. Um, this is for the Hortonworks sandbox, I think. is uh, This is yeah. kind of an example of it. But the, the, the I like this diagram to kind of have an idea of those layers. Yeah. So yeah. So I was thinking if we could have... Yeah, actually, Storm's right here with the streaming. If we could have... Storm doing the insert, let's say, with our example of, of tweets, doing the insertion here, and then you can have lots of other things plug into this data with, you know, SQL queries using Hive, and I think, I don't have HBase here, but I think that's also uh, one of the ones that, that does that. Oh, no, it's NoSQL. Okay, here it is. Right. And then all those different things that, that plug in there, Spark for the in-memory processing. Yeah. And that's another... Explore some of those. Yeah, and that's another big thing that's changed the space at this point, right? I mean, now, 
just this notion of NoSQL being a stack of different ways of taking what was, you know, every traditional database admin knows SQL really well. They can do these SQL queries, and now with NoSQL, they kind of lose that. But, you know, we've given, you know, things like Hive in that SQL package, you know, a way for you to take what is unstructured and still be able to, you know, for those guys who live in that very, you know, relational database world to still be able to interface with these systems um, is very interesting. Not to mention just the level of enterprise maturity that these systems have finally um, taken on is very interesting, especially with, you know, Hadoop 2.4 supporting, you know, enterprise-grade Kerberos and all these different authentication mechanisms, whereas, you know, the original Hadoop, no one was thinking about how to make this, you know, an enterprise-ready authentication-based service for people. Um, and obviously, once it took off, that was stuff that they had to kind of go back and figure out in the context of what had been built. Um, so, I mean, I think it's pretty interesting that we have um, done that at this point um, and that it's now kind of part of the offering, right? Whoever can have the best, you know, enterprise setup, not just the best data analytics, um, is really part of the game as well. Yeah, it's been cool to, um, with, you know, just being involved with, you know, work and also with our, um, the things that we do here, be, being able to see these grow, like I, I think I mentioned before that a lot of these are just becoming top-level Apache projects and they're getting like more and more widespread, like you hear about, um, I think I saw for the first time a company that asked for storm experience, which I had never seen before. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's that's cool, and it's uh, it was like oh this is gonna this is gonna catch on, and this is being used now. Uh, it does lag behind when they're actually, you know, the the most up to date versions. But it's good to see that they're being ado ad adopted now. Well, and I mean, I still kind of wonder um, where the market, how long the market keeps going down this line of 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 where we've gotten, which is we've hired a ton of professionals around. You know, even just really simple things like, you know, Hadoop has been part of the, the skill set, so to speak, for, um, you know, I would say at least two years now, probably more, that I've seen a lot of postings out on the Internet for, you know, that will say specifically must be able to do these types of things in Hadoop with, you know, these types of, um, you know, capabilities. And so... It'll be interesting to see what other names make it to that level of standing uh, besides mm -hmm. Duke, for sure. Yeah, I think some more, the, as counterparts to those, the real-time processing with, um, I mean, not to keep pitching Storm, but there's other ones that uh, well, work well in, in conjunction with the Hadoop file system that all these are plugging into. Yeah, I mean, Spark is the big one, I think, right? Yeah. Being able to do in-memory transactions probably... Yeah, that's pretty cool. Is a, is a game changer for systems that are running, you know, a terabyte of DDR4 yeah. memory. That's pretty cool. I mean, I, I I've always liked the analogy of like, if it's in memory, then uh, it's in the room. If it's on disk, it's like it being in the moon for the computer. Like, th th right. that's the that's the difference in in retrieval times practically. Right. Yeah. Now, and I, and I think as systems become more, I mean, we've already gotten pretty the, the cost analysis curve of where we've gone with memory in these big HPC computing systems, I mean, I think Spark will continue to gain popularity as that um, price point goes down because it makes, you know, the whole thing that makes Spark what it is is having memory. So um, there's a lot of... Teradata is another company that seems to come to mind, and or Terracotta, I don't remember the exact name, but... No, no, it's, it's Teradata. I'm pretty sure it's Teradata. Yeah, I mean, uh, they were... They were a potential customer back when uh, I was working at NASA, and they were, you know, they were in in-memory space long before public offerings kind of came out for things like Spark. And um, I mean, we looked at it very seriously because of just the, you know, the differences in times that it can offer um, is substantial. And you know, even though we have things like um, SSDs to make disks faster. We're not using SSDs for large data sets, right? We're using it at most maybe to run an operating system and have some fast boot times, but we're not using it to store major data sets at this point or, you know, data sets that need to persist for any some length of time. Right, yeah. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up all the uh, 
graphical content and <laughs> projects that we had to show you guys, unless you have um, additional insight, Christian? No, I mean, I think the takeaway is go download that kit, right? Um, at least get connected to the Twitter. It's not it's not so important that you need to necessarily have a, um, you know, uh, a Hadoop cluster to start looking at it, but even if you just work at it within your Java workbench, you're going to understand the concepts, and you can do some smaller scale stuff that uh, is still, a, you know, a pretty meaningful project, in my opinion, um, for what you can do with this stuff, and uh, I, think, I think that's valuable to understanding the field, especially if, um, you know, this might not be your full-time normal everyday job, right? Um, so, you know, again, take a look at that post. Um, we're probably going to take a break um, from this particular project as we get back onto some more uh, cybersecurity topics. Um, some interesting conversations around what's going on with um, um, some of the new cyber threats. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation around the Regin malware and so forth, so we'll probably have some more security-focused content um, in December. Um, we also will be bringing back um, a special guest, uh, Dr. Jim Pertolo, who was on our show number three or four, maybe, and he and I are going to be talking some um, pretty... Um, interesting stuff pertaining to his field again, and um, a lot of people had great things to say about what he had to say on the show the last time, so we figured we'd get him back in here for the new year and uh, have a conversation. So, um, And finally, um, I did manage to get word count working for um, the, uh, the hashtags, and MTV stars indeed uh, rose to the top, as we expected. Um, Technology and voice finale are other uh, popular tags right now. Um, some of them are explicit, so we will filter accordingly. Um, Hashtag Cyber Frontiers is in there, isn't there? <laughs> yeah, I wish. I think that's, that's like number seven or something. It's, yeah. It's, it's and and uh, Twitter after dark. i got to figure out what that is, but apparently that's the thing. So... Um, again, I think I'm going to let this run all night and see what the trending topics were for this, this running two-hour period. So I think that's a wrap other than that. All right, sounds good. Well, Christian already alluded to uh, the January... Oh, I should have known this up front, but the January... We're actually going to move that time slot of that January 19th. interview. 19th? Yep, at 5. January 19th, we're going to move that into the afternoon so you can join us. We're just going to need to accommodate the guest. We uh, Next show will be December 22nd, and uh, both Christian and Ashton will be home, so we'll get an opportunity to check in on them uh, from home and what's going on with school will be done. You guys yeah. will be. Hopefully, uh, we'll be able to get. I want to get maybe some of this code up on the uh, the website to share with you guys, um, and hopefully, we can dedicate a little bit more time to putting some other stuff on the the website during uh, winter break. But the next two weeks are going to be pretty it's intense. Fun. It's so. fun for you guys. Yeah. So we don't we don't we don't anticipate anything. But you guys getting your job is to get stuff done at school. So yeah. Get that done as well, and uh, if you can't get enough of Christian and Ashton, they're both showing up this Thursday on uh, Home Gadget Geeks. We're not going to talk big data. Ashton, is that still going to work for you? Not this talking Thursday? about big data or Thursday? But no, both Thursday. Yeah, both of those <laughs> Thursday, are good. This Thursday. Christian's going to join us, and uh, we had originally started talking about uh, some gadgets, some running gadgets. We'll talk about those, but we kind of want to focus around all the tech gadgets you need as a college student these days. It's probably time to come back around and refresh that. We talked a little bit about that with Mike Howard back in the fall, and uh, but we'll get it from the college student's perspective and build the list, all the gifts you need to get your college students at Christmas time. So guys, be thinking about all the cool stuff, all the cool gadgets that uh, you guys need, have to have there to, uh, to make it uh, on campus and make it work and maybe even talk about or be ready to talk about some of the technology that the campus has deployed. Uh, there to uh, to help you guys, you know, just all the way from your credit card to the, you know, to the TERP. Is it a TERP card? Is that what it's called there? Uh, I think it's called student ID. Oh, but don't it, oh, a TERP card would have been cooler. Well, TERP bucks is the oh, money. Yeah, go. and then Terrapin Express. They have different categories. <laughs> oh, very good. Well, we'll talk a little bit about that on Thursday. So if you're watching the show, head over to. Uh, Home Gadget Geeks on Thursday, both these guys back on. No big data. We're going to talk about uh, kind of 
tech gadgets that uh, that you need to survive as a college student in America in 2014. Don't forget to use the Amazon link if you are purchasing here at Christmas time. Of course, that always helps us with the Average Guy Scholarship Fund, Tech Scholarship Fund. You can just do that. AverageGuy.tv slash Amazon will get you there. If you haven't subscribed to Cyber Frontiers, we want you to do that. That would be awesome if you would do that. Head over to the AverageGuy.tv slash subscribe and uh, all, the, all the feeds, audio, video small, video large, everything you need is over there and uh, we'd love to have you do that. The other thing we'd love to have you do is uh, since December is Rate Your Favorite Podcast Month, uh, we'd love to have you, if you're an iTunes person, head over in iTunes and uh, leave us a leave us some feedback there on the show. If you're doing it in Android, whatever Stitcher or whatever your uh, your pod catcher of choice is, just leave us a review. Those are always nice. And December is rate your favorite podcast month. So let's get that done while you are out there doing that. And then we are back in two weeks, the 22nd. We're back uh, with these guys coming in from home. And uh, we will have another Cyber Frontiers for you. We want to thank you for coming out tonight and uh, being a good part of the the, uh, the chat room. And if you haven't joined us live, every other Monday night, usually 8 p.m. Central, 9 Eastern, you can get the up-to-date schedule. I always try to post the shows that are coming up out of the average guy. And you can get the most up-to-date. Guys, thanks for doing it. And we'll be back in two weeks. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Good night. Have a good one.